Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald. Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick. Uh, Nolan. Our topic of the week is possible campaign settings for Dungeons and Dragons. Now, this is inspired by the announcement at the Dungeons and Dragons celebration this past weekend, wherein we were told that there will be three campaign settings released over the next two years. Now, these are classic campaign settings, so it's not like it's something new that they're creating. And Nolan and I have some speculations or probably some hopes, because I think we both have some stuff that we'd like to see. But we'll get to that uh, later. Before we do that, Nolan? How are you? What have you been up to on your very short weekend? Not a lot, sadly. Uh, playing a little bit of catch up with some video games. Uh, started playing a game called Spellbreak and did that. Yeah, you've been showing me some stuff from that. It is it is a fair amount of fun. Uh, I will say that, especially for a free-to-play game. It's from the Epic Games, same makers of Dauntless. I don't know. That was kind of a monster hunter thing. Um, but last night I played with a friend who plays on Xbox. And so we jumped in, played a campaign, or played some dual battle royale stuff. And that was kind of fun. So I guess it's PlayStation 4, Xbox, and PC, uh, all compatible. We all played together, didn't have any issues. I'd be curious to see if there's some sort of advantage to being with a controller or maybe the movement of a mouse. I don't know. I suppose if you're just good at one, that's pretty cool. But that's kind of been it. I've been playing a little bit of a game called Smite, which is an older school game. Uh, but it is a MOBA style League of Legends Dota, except for it's uh, more third person instead of top down. You control the character more like World of Warcraft, which for me transitions a little bit easier, but it deals with the pantheon of gods across many religions so or fantasies. So you'll see Merlin and King Arthur right next to Mulan, right next to Achilles. Uh, so that's been kind of fun. Uh, I think they're one of their newest ones was uh, Cthulhu was is a, as a new god. Nice. So that's been fun. Uh, just dabbling with some new games, mostly just killing time, finding filler while waiting for Shadowlands to drop and diving into it. Very cool. I've done very little gaming this weekend. Uh, I played a little bit of Diablo, trying to level a gym for no real reason whatsoever. And uh, that's about it. I did pre-order the Cyberpunk 2077 game for Xbox, so I'm really excited about that. Nice. That yeah, That's getting close, too. November is going to be fun. Yeah, lots of stuff coming out in November. So let's dive into it because we do have a ton of stuff to cover today, especially in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons, which is where we're going to go first. So Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is out in the wild, and I'd imagine a lot of people are absolutely enjoying it. It was, of course, highlighted this past weekend at the Dungeons and Dragons celebration event. There were lots of games being run virtually, of course, and even some really interesting announcements, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. As we stated, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden was the crux of the event, including people playing the main story, Adventure League stuff. But there was also some previews from the new book, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which comes out, oh look, in November. Uh, Nolan, you're our D&D expert. Why don't you break it down for us? Well, I think what we saw, I was trying to find my notes on it. What they gave us was a couple of classes. Uh, they gave us a new Barbarian subclass and a new Genie, or I guess Warlock, sorry, which is the Genie subclass, both of which have been through the UA. Uh, Barbarian has Path of the Wild Soul, um, dealing with the Feywild. Uh, Genie, dealing with just another patron. What I liked about that one was 
uh, there's good genies, there's bad genies. So you finally kind of get an opportunity to, uh, I guess, maybe not be the total edgy darkness, sold your soul style thing. You made a bargain with a genie. And I happen to just watch the new movie Aladdin, so I'm all for it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, it looks like there's going to be quite a few subclasses for uh, Tasha's. They're bringing some stuff back. Some of the player character options made it through through the UA. Um, some groups or factions, uh, patrons, I guess is what they are. So if you're working for the king and and or the thieves guild, it kind of gives the DM some opportunities there. Look like they're bringing back some followers, which was popular, uh, even so much so to the point that people who lost characters were like, "Well, can I just be the follower that's with the group because I really like them?" So added to that, I think that was something that they weren't necessarily expecting to be as popular as it was anything else i don't know i was trying to find if they had released anything else new for it but that was just kind of it uh as far as spoiler free territory okay i know that they created a lot of pdfs that you can download from tasha's i do have a link in the show notes if you guys want to go and check that out and you can download those pdfs and and actually go ahead and start playing with them yeah, basically kind of what they gave us was what's in Tasha's Culture and Everything, 22 new subclasses, five reprinted subclasses, which we know we were getting the Artificer, 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 whatever, uh, and the Bloodsinger. Um, there's going to be some new feats, new class feature variants, uh, some changes to the races. I know that they were adding uh, a little more frost damage resistance to Goliath, which we saw was kind of relevant for the new campaign. Um, new magic items, new spells. Uh, looked like they were giving you a little more customization on how you can move statistics around. So if you have a, a halfling that you really wanted to play, but you want to be a halfling wizard and they get dex and wisdom, now you can take that plus two dex and rotate it over to two intelligence uh, because you weren't nimble or excited. You just liked reading the books or something. So that way you can play what, what race you want and what class you want and as it should be. Do what you want. Right, I agree. So did you happen to see the new DM screen coming out in, in oh look, November? I did not. <laughs> so I've actually I just copied and pasted this directly from the wizard sites because it just makes more sense for me to read it this way. So it says, chart a course in the wilds. Venture into the wilds with this kit for the world's greatest role-playing game. This, quit, this kit equips a dungeon master with a screen and other tools that are perfect for running D&D adventures in the wilderness. The dungeon master screen features a gorgeous painting of fantasy landscapes on the outside and useful rules references cover the inside of the screen with an emphasis on wilderness rules. The kit also includes the following five dry erase sheets featuring hex maps, a food and water tracker and rules references, wilderness chases, wilderness journeys and the actions you can take in combat. 27 cards that make it easy to keep track of conditions, initiative, and environmental effects, and one box to hold the kit's cards. Now, this product is slated to drop on November 17th and carries a price tag of $24.95, which I think for everything you're getting, that's a really reasonable DM screen. Yeah, if you don't have one, I think it's a way to go. The uh, I did get it pulled up. The art looks great for it uh one of the better ones that i've seen uh so yeah I, and i really like the dry erase sheets i like the initiative trackers um i think you know as we've seen um in games that we've played before with kickstarters and stuff where you know we've had some of our people go out and find stuff like initiative trackers and stuff that that they think are going to be useful in the game because it just helps it helps to have that visual for people to see it so i, I really like that they're including stuff like that 
It's a it's a weird time with us playing on D and D Beyond, uh, having everything at your fingertips. Um, there's something to be said about getting a card with a magical item on it or something like that. You know, like I miss the old school. Here's my uh, three by five index card, and this is the new magic item I got. And you goes into your little file folder and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think having some of those little hands on things, you know, it's like magic cards or whatever like oh i got a magical item Ooh, here's what it is versus seeing it on the screen it's like this is it in my hand i can hold it it's real yeah no i think that's really cool so that like i said available november 17th price tag at 24.95 but there's a ton of more new stuff to talk about um well, I guess not really a ton, but at least enough that it's going to keep us entertained for a little bit. So let's jump over to Hasbro PulseCon. Of course, this isn't necessarily D&D, but Hasbro is the parent company of Wizards of the Coast, and they are making some announcements that do reflect on D&D. So PulseCon is happening, well, happened this past Friday and Saturday, of which I didn't know that it was even going on. Did you, Nolan? I didn't. I. It's one of those things that I don't. I guess I just didn't think about. I like I know they're involved. I know they're a part of it, but I, yeah, I didn't pay any attention to it. Well, I know they did a convention a few years ago on the East Coast, and out of that convention came a, a promo set of magic cards that had three cards. Uh, it was like um, it was a Grimlock, uh, Nerf War, and um, well, I'm drawing a blank on the third one. But yeah, it was you know. So I was. When I saw that they were doing this virtual convention, I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder if they're going to do any sort of promos. So I did go and take a look at the website, and there was quite a few promos that they came out with. So Hasbro PulseCon, like I said, happened this past Friday and Saturday, and this was a celebration of all things Hasbro, which, of course, means we got to see stuff from G.I. Joe, Transformers, Star Wars, Marvel, Ghostbusters, and, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. Now, what I thought was neat, of course, Hasbro for me has always been um, tied to toys. So when I think of Hasbro, I, th I think of toys. Um, so I like the fact that there's a lot of like exclusive toys for each of those titles being released. And some of them are really, really cool. Like I liked, I liked a lot of the Star Wars stuff. Now, some of it I didn't like at all. And I think you and I looked at some of them yesterday. We were both kind of like, eh, no. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. But some of them looked really cool and, and they were fairly well priced. Like I, there's a, the Jedi Order set that had Mace Windu, um, Yoda, Obi-Wan and um, Anakin plus Anakin's R2 unit. It was like I think it was like $19.95 or $24.95 for, for the set, which I thought was fairly reasonable. Now, when it relates to D&D, &D, I thought it was neat that they released a Dritz Duerden action figure with Guinevere. And I know you're a big fan of Dritz. Um, I enjoy the Dritz novels. What were your thoughts when you saw this toy of it overall? I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty sharp. Uh, I after, after looking at it and seeing that you could customize a little bit more of the action, like it looked like you could pop his head off and put on a different thing because one of them is him smirking. And uh, I don't know how often I can think of him smirking. Sure. Yeah. No. And I think you're right. You can pop off his head. You can remove the head and the hair. You can, so you can have different combinations that way. That's and I think there's different swords as well. It's a Barbie. There should be. Oh yeah. I think there was a different sword. There was one like, uh, they were just normal and there was another one where they were kind of lighting up or had some frost on them or something. So, right. And then of course there was the fully articulated Guinevere. Yeah. It, it's less impressive. <laughs> and that's fair but you know it's it's neat though because 
I don't know that we've seen an action figure, um, especially of, of such a caliber of D&D heroes like this before. Do you? I don't. I'm I know I hate that they started with Dritz just because he's I think he's either in the love him or hate him type thing. He's he's Jace. Yeah, for Forgotten Realms. Yeah. And so it's one of those things there. Uh, but it does open up some of that stuff of I don't know which ones would be more popular. You know what I mean? It's just more mainstream. I think you have to open with him to to get everybody excited about it because um, I know there's kids books and stuff like that. But you know, it's like I I want to see an Elementor one. You know, like I mean, there's there's a lot of figures, but then you start going into well, how obscure of a reference is it? You know what I mean? Like we get uh, you get a Tasha action figure, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know what I mean? Like it's like. So I don't know if you'd see a whole list of them or if that would run up pretty fast or who's buying them. You know, it's G.I. Joe and Transformers are a lot more marketable to younger age people. So, you know, I there was a collection of uh, Planeswalker action figures that came out and I think they did like three series of them. And I ended up buying a couple of them. I think I got Ajani and Liliana and that might have been all that I bought because, you know, they were like $20 a pop. Um, but overall you know i thought the craftsmanship was really well done so i'd imagine that they're going to be doing that you know the same craftsmanship with dritz here um i think you're right though elminster would have been amazing but elminster's not a big figure in 5e yeah yeah his time has passed and i think that's the thing of who are we trying to who who are we who are we trying to appeal to you know i think that's just interesting right so, but it is available now. It is on pre-order right now. So you have to keep that in mind. And it says, um, let's see, the pre-order is going to be, it looks like it's expected to be shipped uh, December 18th. Now this one carries the price tag of $39.99. Uh, so it is a little bit more than your average um, toy, if you will. But if you are a collector of all things D&D, then this might be something you want to check out. I do have a link in the show notes for you to purchase that, as well as a picture of what the action figure in one of its poses looks like. So if you want to see that, go ahead and take a look. There were several other panels um, that you could watch and also several exclusive events or releases, like I said, with the Dritzed. But one of the announcements that was made at PulseCon that really that I thought was interesting, uh, and it's because I also heard it from... Um, chaosium and we're going to get to this a little bit later but i just wanted to mention it because it is in this whole thing and that's that hasbro has recently taken over the popular board game slash rpg hero quest and again we're going to talk about that in just a little bit but i i just wanted to mention that here um that is quite a bit for DD. nolan did you see anything else that i'm missing i didn't uh there was just i think it was more uh stuff that was already out i guess you know a lot of the the panels and stuff like that were interesting to get a little deeper dive into what to expect for uh Ram of the frost maiden i tried to avoid what i could just from spoiler stuff but the stuff i did hear them talking about really cracked me up um so i, I think it's i'm excited to see you run it just from a standpoint of you've ran every campaign so far with Ram of the frost maiden and and what they've learned it sounded like a lot of the talk that i was getting or hearing was how they designed it to be uh instead of like needing to read the whole book uh to understand what's going to happen they kind of broke it into sections so that you could as a dm study the chapter and know the chapter and run the chapter and not be like oh i really messed this up going forward or so i think they tried to make it as 
DM friendly as possible. And I think that'll be interesting to see. So I'm looking forward to it. Of course, schedules right now are ridiculous, but I think Raymond the Frost Maiden is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I think the big thing for me when it comes to D&D right now, what I'm really looking forward to is these campaign settings. I'm really curious to see what they're going to be doing. So it gives me a lot more excitement for D&D over the next couple of years. Uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden looks like a lot of fun. You mentioned um, that you, know, you were trying to stay away from spoilers, but if it wasn't for you paying attention, uh, I would have never known about the the idea of using secrets uh, to create your characters for Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that, actually. And it changed yeah. a couple of people's characters, uh, not knowing, you know, knowing of what mine is personally. It definitely, it it helped more than hindered, um, just from a standpoint of it it gave me some direction for some of that stuff. And it created a story all of its own. So I, I enjoyed it. It was worthwhile. Uh, mine's not the greatest secret in the world as far as like, I don't feel like I need to hide it from everybody. I'm sure it'll come out really quickly, uh, depending on how much I like the people I'm around. Um, sure. Just from being kind and telling them of like, hey, like by the by, uh, I just need this you to is know. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, like a little bit about me. This is me. Um, but for backstory for character creation, it turned into something that uh, I, 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 I personally never would have came up with, you know, it's not something that was ever on my radar of doing something like, uh, or being where it was. And so it, it, it helped a ton and I'm really excited about it. It's caused more good issues than bad issues from that standpoint of, I can't get the, my brain to shut off and just pick something. So. Well, and I think it's interesting that your secret in particular, and we don't, so we, some of our players actually listen to our show, which is stunning, but Hey, they do. So we're, Nolan and I are being very vague on the secrets because we don't want to give any of them away, but I, I like that your secret in particular, Nolan had you like deep dive into a whole nother realm of Faroon that you hadn't even thought to look at before. Yeah. And, and I think I thought I knew about it. Uh, I think would be the best way to describe it just from books and, and stuff like that. So realizing that I didn't and realizing there's this other thing, it, it really did help tie into kind of what we're talking about too, of different areas you'd like to explore different realms. I mean, it's Faerun is a big place and we enjoyed uh, Cholt for what it was. Uh, I would like to see this area be a, a next one um, along those lines, like the Moonshea Isles, I think would be really interesting. Going east in, in the Forgotten Realms land would be, I, I think it just opened up a bunch of things. That, like there's a lot of stuff going on and the people who live in this, in the Sword Coast are pretty much wrapped up in their own stuff. So I want to know what other tales are out there. So those secrets are optional. You don't have to use them, but I tell you, like, like Nolan has said, it, it really added some depth to his character. So it's, it's well worth taking a look at. All right, let's jump over to Onyx path. Uh, with Scion Demigod getting close to wrapping up, Onyx Path has announced their next Kickstarter. It is going to be World of Darkness Ghost Hunter. Now, this was interesting in that I'd never heard of this one, uh, especially with it being in the World of Darkness line, because I thought I knew them all. And, oh, look, perhaps I did, because this is a non-specific game line that is being designed to play with all of the 20th anniversary books. This Kickstarter will be for a deluxe books, much like the other X20 books before. I know uh, very little about the project except that i've seen well i have seen the deluxe books from the 20th anniversary line my son purchased one and guys they are incredible 
So I am very intrigued by this Kickstarter. I'm not saying I'm going to jump in on it. I've been kind of pumping the brakes on Kickstarters as of late, but uh, this one might be one of those that I have to. So we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of Scion, last week I was able to sit down with Neil Raymond Price, the lead developer for Scion 2nd Edition, and with him and I discussed Scion Demigod uh, and Scion in general. So make sure you check that out as well if you haven't. Uh, the link is in the show notes. For those of you who backed the Scarredlands Creature Collection last year, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I received an email this weekend stating that my book has shipped. So I have to imagine that means yours is getting close to shipping or has already shipped. I personally am very excited for this book, not just because I really thoroughly enjoyed Scarredlands, but it is going to, it's, it's 5e, so you can absolutely bring it into your Dungeons & Dragons game and use some new monsters that your players have never seen before. So I'm super excited for this book to finally arrive, and hopefully this means they came from Beneath the Sea is not too far behind. I really like, again, I think Scarlands has been one of my favorite areas just because of the monster situation. Um, and it's so far extreme that the first thing I thought of was like, yeah, I want to use this thing for like a Halloween one shot. You know, like it's one of those things of like all the kids are out in water deep. You know, you're, you're finishing up Dragon Heist. You know, your your characters don't go on to Mad Mage. They live in water deep. They have the thing. They're setting up for trick or treating or whatever. And instead of a fireball, a portal opens up and we're talking, you know, monsters rolling out from Scarred Lands and boom, they're level five, scary as all heck, you know, whatever happened, you know, I, I think it'd be a, just a fun one shot using just these monsters that nobody's seen before in Forgotten Realms. And just oh, that yeah. horror side, I think it leads to like a, yeah. Oh, happy day. We saved the world, blah, blah, blah. And oh God, what is this? What is this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm really excited to get this book. Um, I do have the PDF and I have not looked through it. I I don't mind PDFs, guys. I buy PDFs, you know, not often, but enough that I have a fairly large collection of PDFs. I keep them on my iPad, but I like books. And this is one of those books that I'm greatly looking forward to seeing. So hopefully soon, hopefully this week, we'll see. Um, that's all I saw for Onyx Path. I know there was some stuff that came out this week. Uh, the Contagion Chronicle was released for POD, uh, which, again, this is one of those situations where I'd imagine if you were one of the Kickstarter backers, you're probably going to get your book after the people who buy it through POD. Uh, that's what's happened with They Came From Beneath the Sea. And this isn't any fault of Onyx Path. This is you know, completely COVID-related. Things have just slowed down, and it's made shipping extremely difficult from these larger plants that are you know, having less crew, less people there to pack and ship. So uh, just be patient. And, and keep in mind that the Kickstarter printer is different than the drive-through RPG printers. So that's why those who have the POD coupons are getting their books sooner. All right, that is all I saw for Onyx Pass. So let's hop over to Chaosium, and this is going to tie in directly with Dungeons & Dragons. So Chaosium recently announced that Moon Design Publication has officially transferred ownership of HeroQuest, uh, the HeroQuest trademark, to Hasbro. Now, as we mentioned earlier, that there is something going on with HeroQuest at Hasbro PulseCon, and this is it. At PulseCon, they are kind of running this like 
Kickstarter campaign, if you will, for HeroQuest. You can pledge, much like, like I said, Kickstarter, to get yourself a copy of the game. There are two tier levels that you can pledge at, Heroic and Mythic. The Heroic level gets you the core game, while the Mythic level gets you the core game plus two expansions. If you're a fan of miniatures, this really is a game for you because I think the core game comes with like 71 miniatures and they're all very well done. And they also come with like terrain pieces. And so this is something that you can purchase, play the board game itself, as well as use this to play Dungeons and Dragons. So keep that in mind as you know, if, if you take a look at this now, HeroQuest is not a new game. This game has been around for a very long time. If I remember correctly, it was originally designed in the late seventies. So this is a very well-established realm, well-established game. Like now, obviously Hasbro is doing the board game currently at PulseCon. There is also going to, they are going to continue to produce the HeroQuest RPG, but they are going to be renaming it to Quest Worlds. Now, my thought, and Nolan, you and I have kind of talked about this, is that will they be keeping the rule system or will they transfer it to 5e to make it so where those fans of D&D can play the game more seamlessly? What are your thoughts? I think it would be tough for them not to, uh, just from a standpoint of the way that they produce the side products. I, I think it would be hard to, hey, here's this whole another set of dice and versus just saying, well, here's the new hero quest dice. You can use it in your D&D campaign. I, I don't know. Well, I, I... I think if I think you allow for an easier transition with the conversion, um, you don't usually have, you know, we get a lot of you know, Pathfinder likes Pathfinder, 3.5 likes 3.5, you know, 5e likes 5e. Uh, the Magic players don't necessarily like jumping over, you know, type situation. So I don't, I think if you add another system, another set of rules, uh, at our table, we would never touch it. Just yeah. from that standpoint of most of our group would not, you know, we've got a few that wouldn't mind learning, but some people don't have the time for it. Whereas like with Scardlands, the reason we did play it was because it was converted to 5e. Otherwise, we wouldn't have touched it. And that's probably a very true statement. Um, it's difficult to continuously learn new systems and, and try to figure things out, especially when, you know, time is limited, you know, especially, well, I keep saying, especially we're all adults. We all have jobs. We all have other things that we do outside of, you know, our work and, and just within our normal lives. So learning a new system can be incredibly difficult, uh, which is the reason why Nolan and I are often saying there's just not enough time to play all the games that we want to play. It doesn't mean we don't purchase them and look at them and drool over them and wish, but if you can take a game and convert it to a rule system that we already know it's going to make it a lot easier for people in general just to pick up that book and say okay let's take hero quest this is a whole new or sorry quest worlds this is a whole new campaign setting but i already know the rules and we can get into this so yeah i think that's a good point so i i don't know that i'm i'm probably not opposed to them um bringing that into the 5e rules uh well no i'm not opposed at all because it's just going to make it easier for people to check out the world of glorantia and enjoy it all right that is going to bring us to our topic of the day uh, why don't we go grab a cup of coffee and we'll come back and talk about our hopes and dreams for campaign settings sounds good 
Hey everybody, this is Patrick with 307RPG. While Nolan and I are off getting coffee, I thought it'd be a great time to just pop in and say, you know, thank you guys so much for all your support over the last couple of years. It's been a really neat, exciting ride for Nolan and I, and we really appreciate everybody who has taken the time to to listen to the show. If you'd like to support us, of course, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald, or even doing something as simple as leaving a review at your local podcast, whatever that you use to get podcasts on those kind of things really help boost our ratings and move us up in standings if you will so other people can check us out and enjoy the show too anyway it looks like we're headed back so thanks for listening guys and hope you enjoy the rest of the show so our topic of the day is of course the campaign settings so with the announcements of the three new campaign settings coming to dungeons and dragons nolan and i thought it would be fun to talk about what three campaign settings we would each like to see but before we get into that nolan had me just almost in hysterics this past week, talking about a class that he found. And I wanted him to just kind of touch on that a little bit and, and give you and, and share with you what he found. And that is the ballad in Nolan. Tell us about this. Well, it, it started with, of course, making characters for this game uh, coming up and doing homework. I tell you what, if you ever are lost for an idea or want randomness, hop on Reddit. Uh, there's a couple of them. D&D Next. Uh, which deals with a lot of fifth edition stuff, and then uh, if you're if you're looking for character ideas, uh, two Reddit sites, uh, Red, Reddit sites, D and D Next, and Three D Six, and Three D Six is usually asking for character ideas or optimization or combinations or how would you make it work, uh, and then D and D Next usually has a bunch of information, just random things. Well, one of the things that came across uh, was. I think somebody was asking, I want to play a paladin and I want them to deal with just uh, classic rock music quotes. And I was already thinking about like, I've been wanting to play a paladin bard for a long time. And and I kept calling it a bard a den uh, and a pallard sounds horrible. And so reading through this here, people go, well, you know, we're going to now officially call it the ballad in since they're going to be singing songs and be a paladin. But the whole idea behind it was is that if you go through classic rock, there are tons and tons and tons of great, great musical quotes. Uh, and then if you just start jumping into like fantasy metal, like Dragon Force or Freedom Call, they're very paladin-esque about smiting foes and and turning evil and, and, and all that stuff. And one of the comments in there that we got to was is you need to play a triton which i was like hey i was thinking about playing a triton a triton paladin because then you could literally be the holy diver <laughs> oh my gosh and so that was that was the that was the fun of it i, I gosh there's there's so many quotes i you know and i i think that you know uh, there's a guy in our group that we play with that would just die if somebody played this at the table and love it um and i was thinking about it just for that reason and then i was like you know what he needs to play this he would probably do the most homework of finding epic song lyrics for fantasy stuff uh ever and it would get so annoyingly awesomely old so fast that it would be worth it oh my gosh it, you know and you and of course nolan decides he's just gonna go all in and he starts like randomly quoting rock songs and metal songs and i'm just like will you stop you're killing me but it is like when he mentioned the holy diver of course i had to immediately bring up the video for dio's holy diver and wow just watching that video you're like wow this is very dnd esque Oh, isn't there? You know, uh, we were, I think it led us into Tenacious D uh, and, and 
you know what? If you're going to make a rock metal, throw on a sword and you're good to go. And, and if you think about it, there's so many great, like I was just sitting here thinking like uh, Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. Um, literally, Welcome to the Jungle, you're going to die. So just yeah. so many things that you could say. It would be hilarious. I would, I would take the inspiring leader feat and I would have some of those cheeky style quotes for some of that stuff. I think of... Uh, uh, Gosh, I don't know. The, the rabbit hole is awesome. It really is. And I highly recommend you guys take a look at it. I'm trying to think. Gosh, yeah. I, it's just so fun to see the people's ideas. And again, the, the tropier, the better. Sometimes it gets old. Uh, I did see another one. I know it's a little off topic, but they were talking about take the best trope you got, but lazy it, right? So why are, why are you adventuring, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well my girlfriend got eaten by a red dragon and, and like, Oh, so you revenge. And, and, and that's why you're out adventuring. And uh, well, actually I was going to break up with her already. So it kind of did me a favor. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's like, you just take all that stuff of like, you know, like, well, yeah, no, my, my parents were killed in an alleyway before me. Oh my God. You grew up to be Batman. Well, my dad abused me and my mom was an alcoholic. It, it worked out really good for me. The orphanage was fantastic. Made me tougher, and here I am an yeah. adventure. Yeah, no, I would have. I, I probably wouldn't even live this long because my dad was so violent. You know, it's like so. You just take all those classic tropes and find a way to make it as an excuse of why you're actually not adventuring. Like, just be as lazy as humanly possible. Oh my gosh, that's that's you know, it, there's so many crazy, unique, different ways to come up with a character, and or even a quick backstory. Like, you know, speaking of backstories, and, and we're going to get to our topic, I swear, guys. Uh, as we were creating our characters this week, we checked out the um card set from my old high school friend Jay, uh, Better Backstories, and and kind of had fun messing with that. Yeah, they it was really simple, some good ideas. I liked uh reading just about having uh, aside for the dms as well i thought it was really cool of just like random weather random encounters like where are you looking for i mean just kind of if you're stuck uh it helps a, a lot of just kind of triggering a couple of ideas like oh i hadn't thought about that let's see if that will open up a rabbit hole to go down yeah and we had jay on a couple of months ago when the kickstarter was live to talk about better backstories and and the creation that they came up with and uh, it has, you know, the Kickstarter was completed and everything was fulfilled and we did, I did receive a copy of it and it's a lot of fun to mess with. So anyway, we completely sidetracked, but check out better backstories. Okay, let's dive into our campaign settings. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Go ahead. Okay. Well, as you guys probably know, I, well, you should, you should know, I'm a big fan of horror settings. Like I love the world of darkness. I love Call of Cthulhu. I really love cult. So for me, the first one I want to see is Ravenloft. Now, you're probably going to say, but Patrick, we already had Curse of Strahd, which we did. But that was really just a small step into the realm of terror. Ravenloft was first introduced to the game of Dungeons and Dragons in 1983. And trust me, there's way more to it than just Strahd von Zarevich. And while he is the most popular dreadlord to live in Ravenloft, he's not the only one. Ravenloft is made up of several domains, each of which is ruled by a different dreadlord. In fact, uh, the lords are often warring with each other, but typically cannot cross into one another's domains because of the mist, which you've, if you've played Curse of Strahd, you should be familiar with it. Uh, one of my personal favorite villains in the whole Dungeons and Dragons universe happens to live in Ravenloft as a dreadlord, that being Lord Soth. Now, if you know 
Dragonlance, you will know the name of Lord Soth. And and there was at some point in, in Ravenloft works because it's a pocket domain with or it's a pocket dimension, sorry, with many domains bordered by the mist that the Dreadlords cannot cross. But they have agents that can. So that's how they war with each other. So what usually happens is, is when you are so evil, you are pulled into Ravenloft, usually by going through the mist and you just happen to come into this pocket dimension, which is what happened with Lord Soth. Lord Soth is, again, my favorite villain from Dragonlance. So you have the potential of having these dreadlords from all the different realms of Dungeons and Dragons within this pocket dimension. So my thought would be is if there was a guidebook to Ravenloft, maybe talk about the different dreadlords and their domains, but also give DMs a chance to create their own dreadlord and their own domain, because there's no saying that the pocket dimension cannot continue to expand with more and more dreadlords, because who knows how many there truly are. We know there's vampires. We know there's liches. We know there's death knights. What else exists within that pocket dimension? I think a guidebook to Ravenloft would be amazing. Your turn. Okay. I can, I like it. I like it. Um, so when looking at this kind of stuff, I think it's interesting because from my standpoint, it it's always uh, what I was playing 3.5. It was always just kind of generic books. Uh, and I always wanted to play in the Forgotten Realms because I knew it from the stories. Um, and now we have it, and it's not necessarily something that I love all the time because I know the stories. Um, but we've done some different things with uh, doing one-shots, and I've always found it easier if people kind of know where it's at. And I know at one point um, there was some talk of whether it actually happened or not. I'm not sure, but I know a lot of people would hate it, but I would really enjoy a Warcraft campaign setting just from a standpoint of i don't need the here i mean you've got a hero base for it you've got some stuff going on but there's pulling from some of that stuff of the lich king would be a great bad guy uh the invasion of the burning legion would be a great place uh don't get me wrong that kind of stuff for expansions but i think a lot of people could connect with that of you've been in stormwind you've seen stormwind i don't have to there there isn't not necessarily a lot of room for interpretation but it's one of those things of hey if you have questions about it Here's some pictures of it. Here's some good reference. I think it's interesting to build on a world that exists that we've been in that we see. Sometimes helps with the you know you're on you're on the 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 plains of the wetlands, the swamps. There's alligators. You know that that conjures an image for your character to be in. Um, I don't know. I thought that would be kind of fun just because there is a lot of stuff to to pull from. Uh, some pretty cool bad guys. Good bad. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happens on Azeroth, uh, depending on where you did it, but. As, as far as a campaign setting, I think that'd just be a fun world to run around in. Uh, so Very cool. I could dig that. I actually, you know, of course, I played uh, World of Warcraft for a long time before finally saying, all right, enough. I got to end this addiction. Um, and it's a, it is, it is a fascinating world, tons and tons and tons of lore. And you could really, and that would, that would just be a game unto itself with you know apply the 5e rules if it's possible and use that that would that'd be really neat i know they did uh they did a, a third edition was kind of the initial setting for a warcraft the role-playing game uh looks like they did five other books before it was updated to world of warcraft the role-playing game a self-contained game 
um, no longer published. I doubt they have rights to it. Warcraft became so big that I'm sure you can't touch it, but uh, I don't know. I did a one shot once where we played an EverQuest and it was just so much easier for me to use the maps that were already created for that, where I could just focus on fights and monsters that kind of yep. made me think of that. So anyway. Well, cool. So my second thought is Dark Sun. Now, Dark Sun is, is a fascinating setting to me. I played Dark Sun only a couple of times, and it was brutal, but I loved it. Dark Sun was released as a setting in 1991, and it takes place in the post-apocalyptic uh, post desert world of Athos. Athos? Athos? I'm not sure how to say it. While you are able to play most classes in this setting, if memory serves, the real class that stuck out was... Uh, that makes it, that in my opinion, makes this setting a very real chance of being published was the psionics. Of course, we've seen psionics in what was it, Eberron, right? No, yeah, and I think there's a little a bit little there. bit, yeah. And, and we're seeing them more developed in Tasha's, right? I'm hoping so. I haven't seen anything confirmed on it, but that was the last kind of big UA of updates. I know people have been waiting for it and fine-tuned, but I'm trying to think, what is it, the, the, the Kalimshar race? Has some psionic ability so so yeah so i think that you know they've been working on psionics they've been trying to bring it into fifth edition more fully and so with dark sun being you know really there was a lot of focus on psionics at least if my memory serves that i think this setting is very prime to come back not only that there's been with the you know pushing of psionics, we've seen a lot of mention just in passing of Dark Sun. So I think, in my opinion, Dark Sun is primed to be one of these three. Yeah, that'd be a great one. And I like that. Uh, yeah, psionics has kind of replaced uh, arcane, which I think would be kind of fun too to actually be a arcane. You know, you'd be a relic of the past type situation. Right. So that is my number two. Uh, let's see. My number two would be Planescape. Um, just from a standpoint of setting up the foundation to pull all these books and uh, traveling to different planes. Uh, adding, you know, Victoria, uh, being able to go to Victorian area, feudal Japan, uh, steampunk, uh, start bringing in the Scarlands monsters. We've got all these books from all these places. You really like the one shot from Exandria. Boom. Planescape, you know, shift over. Uh, so I, I like the idea of that, just kind of giving yourself an excuse of doing that. If you hate everything about the magic stuff, you know, coming in, but you, they do, uh, uh, in a strad set that you want your players to be a part of. You, we're not remaking characters every single time a new campaign comes out. We just planescape, plane shift the old ones over. Uh, so I, I think that would just be fun because that's like, Hey, we can do anything. It's a form of plane shifting. So. Cool. Yeah. I, and I like the ability to, you know, move within the plane. So if you want to play in Greyhawk and, and then transfer to Forgotten Realms or or something like that, I like having the ability to do those things. So that would be really neat. All right. So my third one. And now I don't know. I don't know how I I have a lot of like nostalgia tied with this next one. And I could have like I thought about using Greyhawk because Greyhawk was actually the very first realm I played in. Uh, I thought about Spelljammer. Uh, you know, I thought about all these different things that it could be. Um, but I decided that the one that I probably would like to see the most, just because, again, it's that nostalgia is Dragonlance. Dragonlance came into the world of Dungeons and Dragons in 1984. It was originally conceived by Tracy Hickman and his wife, Laura, while they were driving in a car to interview with TSR, who was the publisher of Dungeons and Dragons at the time. 
At TSR, Tracy met Margaret Weiss, who would go on to become his writing, writing partner. In 1984, TSR published the very first Dragonlance novel, Dragons of Autumn's Twilight, which is probably one of my favorite D&D-based novels, um, mostly because I connected so well with that party. And it really is, as you're reading this book, you genuinely feel like you're on the outsider looking in of a D&D campaign. Um, there is, of course, it's called The Chronicles, which includes three books. Uh, but Dragons of Autumn's Twilight uh, is the first D&D book that I ever read in the late 80s. I was hooked. I wanted to read everything Dragonlance, especially if it had to do with Tasselhoff Burfoot, the kinder. I thought he was amazing. And we, although we see halflings in like Forgotten Realms and other D&D settings, we don't see the true kinder, which the kinder were amazing it was great i loved that race so i'd love to see the kinder in in a dnd setting um but reading that book led me down the path to playing dnd so dragonlance uh has had a campaign setting in in the past material were published for more than a decade in fact in 1997 when the new owner of Dra of dungeons and dragons took over wizards of the coast uh, they licensed dragonlance to sovereign press inc that licensing agreement ended in 2007, which was, I believe, the last time we saw anything published for Dragonlance. Dragonlance continues to be insanely popular with the fan base, and in my opinion, and I should say the older fan base, in my opinion, would be an excellent campaign setting to 5th edition. You know, we... Uh... They did a anointed tales for Dragonlance, and on the outsides of it were notes from the campaign, and and that's what it was. They they wrote the story, the players played the campaign, and these were the actions that they have. So when you say it, it was like you're in the middle of a group, right. it, it that's how they wrote it. And my favorite part of that that I took away from is um, when they're on their way to discover the staff, and they're all climbing down the well, and they're all on the rope. Tannis goes last and he critically failed his climb check. And in that moment in their game, he fell and took out everybody on the rope on the way down. And the first person down was, uh, that was the, the cleric girl who, who had the, whatever it was. And when it landed, they all landed on top of it. It shattered, it exploded and they TPK'd and they had to go back and rewind oh gosh. getting them down the thing. Like, okay, well that, campaign didn't last very long uh okay you guys made it down the well good job tannis that's awesome uh so dragonlance or in fact the chronicles book um and if you haven't read the book obviously this will be a spoiler but come on it was written in the 80s give me a break um the the series so the dwarf flint uh, flint fireforge him and Tasselhoff are our best friends. And this is okay. So this takes you back to you can see a lot of my progression within fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, because I love the character of Flint, and I would go on to mostly play dwarves. Um, Flint is just amazing. And I loved how grumpy he was. He would feign that he hated Tasselhoff, but secretly, he cared a lot for him. So if Tasselhoff would get in trouble, usually it's Flint saying, damn it, gotta go get him uh and so i i just loved that character but when flint died and the way they wrote the scene if you're reading that especially as a you know younger person that i was you were heartbroken it's like no how can this character die and there was no resurrection that character 
was dead. And Tasselhoff was just crushed. And I, you know, I think about the fact that you said it was a campaign. It was a game that they were playing. I can't imagine because if they wrote it the way it was done, you imagine sitting at that table and watching these players play out this scene. Right. Yeah, that's way too intense for me. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was it was really neat. Um, so, yeah, I think, in my opinion, Dragonlance is is primed to come out. Yeah, it would be fun to bring people back to it. Yeah. So what is your number three? Well, mine's kind of an awkward one because we already have books coming out for it. But if they were instead of just doing like a here's a guide to it and we actually got an adventure, I would love to get the season one of Critical Role as an actual campaign to play. Um, just because of the scale of epicness, uh, something that would take us to level 20, you know, I think spoilers abound and stuff like that. You would kind of have a general idea of the layout of how it goes, but that's how it went for them. That's not how it would necessarily go for you. And I don't know if you would ever get that. I don't know if that's a possibility just because of how, you know, busy everybody is. And maybe that's just not even on the radar, but as far as just a, a straight campaign of the story and everything that's happening, I think, I would love to play through that, especially the early stuff that we didn't see on camera. You know, I mean, that's just kind of, I don't know. It was kind of my cheap one because there is some stuff coming out for it and all that. But uh, as far as just instead of just a, a, a guide to the area, I would like to see a, an, an actual Rhyme of the Frostman style or whatever, the Tales of the Comiclave or whatever it was. You know, I want some of those books. I think that'd be fun to see the setting. Yeah, Tales of the Chroma Conclave, that would be really neat. Now, I know they're doing an anime and that kind of stuff, so you might not be able to do, you know, I, realistically happening, no. But if you could bottle that and sit down with a group of players and get them in, you know, and, and, and check it out, because that thing arcs all over the place. Um, have a few little different things for background stories and, and ways to tie those in. I don't know. I think it'd be pretty cool. That would be really neat. Um Again, I don't know what the, like you said, I don't know what the feasibility is because it is so obviously played out with like the enemies coming out and of course the videos and the comics and everything that has come out for Critical Role that might not be possible, but I think you're right. It would be, even if there was a way to, like if Matt wrote, I don't know, because you're talking the original adventures, because um, I know in the Taldorai source book, the Chroma Conclave is mentioned, but yeah, that'd be pretty neat. And then if that doesn't count because of realm of possibility after all my deep diving and as a, a mild spoiler to personal character stuff, al -Kadim, I think would be a great, you know, I love Forgotten Realms. Uh, I'm getting tired of playing in somebody else's playground where I feel like I can't alter the world. Um, but that's my own mindset. Uh, I can't blow up the 10 towns because, you know, I know the Battle Hammer Clan is going to come out and mess me up because of the cannon, <laughs> right? Um, but Al-Qadim would be a fun way to get to a spot that maybe we haven't seen that I don't know a lot about, um, that I don't know uh, where I wouldn't have issue of like, well, I don't know who that is. Let's kill him. You know, type situation like, well, you can't kill him because that's, uh, you know, Dritt Stewart in here. Like, doesn't mean shit to me. He's a dark elf. Let's kill him. Like, ah, you can't. He's going to win. Why? Lore. I don't know. Yeah, lore. And well, he's amazing. So <laughs> yeah, probably not gonna happen. And he's got more powerful friends. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, so Al-Qadim is a setting uh, inspired by the Arabian Knights mythos. Uh, it's got genies, elemental wizards, holy assassins, and a land unified under the belief of the power of fate. Uh, and a lot of this just kind of happens to be right in line with uh, my character. So it, it's been a lot of fun to pick up that book, read that book, and just kind of get an idea for... I don't, I don't know if we've had a good 
desert setting in the Sword Coast. You know, I mean, it's just not the right climate for it. And so uh, I'm excited to play a uh, desert style character <laughs> in, in the frozen north. It's going to be. Yeah, awkward. it's going to be interesting. You know, it, and I like that you mentioned al because there's so many parts of the Forgotten Realms that I mean, we've primarily since fifth edition came out focused on the sword coast now obviously we were down in Schult with a, a tomb of annihilation but for the most part we've really stuck with the sword coast and there's a whole vast amount of space to Faerun that we have not even looked at but and i'm sure that a lot of this is uh cultural sensitivity that you know wizards of the coast is trying to be careful alkadim i think you could run into some cultural stuff karatur obviously you could run into some cultural stuff but i still think it would be fascinating to include those and and let's let's be culturally sensitive and and, and do it correctly and not not do it like the way we did in the 80s and, and early 90s not to say that it wasn't wrong then it just didn't have the same look to it it didn't have the same you know care taking with it so I think Alcadim would be incredible. I know when it first came out, I was so excited to buy that box set. And it, I think if I remember correctly, it came out around 1992, which is the same time the original Aladdin cartoon came out. And I love the original Aladdin cartoon. So to be able to kind of grab that feeling and bring that into our D&D game was so neat. And I, I, as soon as the comic shop in Fairbanks got it, I was, I was buying it. I was like, yep, uh, we're doing this one. Yeah, and I think that would open up a lot of ways too. Of uh, I think one of the first like my uh, Arabian adventures was uh, the Oriental Adventures book, um, and I I've been a huge fan of samurai and everything uh, feudal Japan culture uh, my entire life, um, and so seeing those kind of books, you know, if, it, if we started that and pulled in an area for that, and then we got a little farther east and we got to see. You know, I would take an Oriental Adventures book and every single one of them, hey, there's 22 new subclasses. Um, each one is monk inspired or unarmored inspired or a discipline inspired uh, style discipline. You know, there, there's so many weapons. There's so much. So I think it would just kind of open up. You want a high magic one? You know, you want some far out crazy stuff that can happen? Let's bring in uh, Al-Kadim and have genies and high magic. You want to go more mysticism and and crazy monsters that come out of the oriental adventures let's let's go farther east or west across the ocean or whatever so you know getting away from the sword coast maybe would be just a okay thing in my book i completely agree all right so there you have it folks there are some of our thoughts of what would be really neat to add to the world of dungeons and dragons and help expand it there's a lot of other ones that we could have chosen that we could have talked about like greyhawk and Spelljammer. um it's not that they're not good they're good but we we just kind of wanted to focus on what our three or or, or four in, in nolan's case <laughs> might be so um some fun stuff. We're really excited to see what Wizards of the Coast has in store for D&D in the next couple of years. So keep your eyes peeled. All right, Nolan, that is the point of the show where if people would like to get a hold of you, how can they do it? Uh, I'm on Twitter at in Lemire's. Of course, I'm Patrick, and you can find me at pretty much all the social medias at 307RPG. Um, if you have any ideas, any thoughts, any things that you would like us to cover, please drop us a line. We are always open to new ideas. We do have, of course, a bunch of stuff planned for the rest of the year and, and possibly even some new stuff coming into the new year. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>